Welcome back to episode two of the Almost Shameless podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox, and uh, I have to tell you, I've increased my productivity from last week quite a lot. I have a real setup going for my microphone. It's a, I've got a situation here where I have a plastic cutting board kind of on my lap, on the edge of my lap. I got my mic there. I've figured out which pattern to use. Turns out it's the cardioid pattern on the Blue Yeti guys. Not that I didn't know how to do this before. I've done very, very many podcasts. However, it was with two people. We used different settings. And this is a whole new setup for me. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Although, uh, as I venture forth in this, my plan is to create a video element to this and kind of get a full podcast situation going with a camera set up and everything else. And I don't know how well the plastic cutting board is going to work for that uh, situation. So we may have to come up with a plan beyond that front. For now, it works. This is always one of my least favorite weeks of the sports year because uh, while you're, we're still not completely in the doldrums, the, the real doldrums of the sports calendar year is like post NBA finals in early June through July before real training camp starts. You know, all the players have been traded and all that stuff. That's probably the slowest time, which is why I scheduled my wedding for June 6th. That's really the only time I can take like three weeks off for a wedding and a honeymoon. So yeah, but other than that, I would say this is my least favorite week because football's over. It's still before free agency. We're doing this whole thing where we're trying to figure out if there's even anything to talk about. You know, baseball, pitchers and catchers, no one cares. People barely care about baseball as it is, let alone just pitchers and catchers, right? Uh, the NBA season is in that place where they're starting to rest people. No one really cares. It's not the, it's just not the playoffs yet. Once the playoffs start, we're good. Uh, and it's just, there's a, I woke up on Sunday morning and I looked at Chris and I was like, I miss football. And he delightfully told me that the XFL was on, which was great. Um, I did watch a little bit of that. It was kind of fun. You know, it was almost, a. It was kind of nostalgic because, you know, the first XFL has kind of remained in our collective consciousness as like a fever dream. It happened, but it almost feels like it didn't. So it was it was very cool to see it back. I thought the productions on both ESPN and Fox Sports were really good. They have their, you know, everybody has a lot of their best people on it. I love Diana Rossini, who's doing the sideline on ESPN, I think. You know, Joel Klatt at, at Fox Sports is a super great guy, and I think he's super talented, and I and both him and Rob Stone are great. I just, you know, they're, they're certainly, these networks, including my own, are, are putting their best foot forward to make this product work, and as a football fan, I'm honestly really, really excited because if it could turn into a sort of feeder league for the NFL, a stepping stone between college and the pros, if we could launch some more careers, if we could have more viral moments and more football to talk about throughout winter into early spring, that would be so great. I mean, who doesn't want that? Uh, and inevitably, we're going to get a, a couple of cool viral insane moments and some ridiculous press conferences, some sound bites. So I guess it's easing a little bit of the post Super Bowl pain. I would be lying if I said I'm not already, you know, counting down the days until the until the free agency period is come. And, and obviously that is leading me into my first topic of the day. 
Hot stuff coming up. Yes, we are going to talk about Tom Brady. We have to talk about it. It's, again, this is the slow time. Even Michael Irvin is talking about it. But I don't want to do the thing we've done for the past few weeks, or few months, really, where we think about all the places Tom Brady could go, who might want him, or how much money he might be asking for. Because we know at this point, we're not going to get those answers. The smartest most plugged in people don't have those answers. They have uh, highly educated guesses that have informed our belief that he wants to test free agency. Obviously, that's what Robert Kraft has said. Who knows what really is going on there? And to be honest, it's been beaten to death. I do think that the more interesting part of that topic right now is what the Patriots will do in the absence of Tom Brady. There's been a surprising lack of national focus on how the Patriots and Bill Belichick could fare if Tom Brady does decide to move on or if the Patriots offer him something he finds inadequate. So here's the thing. We were having a few conversations in meetings at work over the last couple of days, and there were some interesting bits I got out of that, which is people are starting to think that the Patriots without Tom Brady would almost be irrelevant. There's this idea that if Tom Brady leaves, who are the Patriots? Why do they matter? I am surprised by that idea, uh, specifically because Bill Belichick will still be there and this Patriot way will still be there. And the six rings and nine Super Bowl appearances in the last 20 years will all still be there. The banners are still there. I mean, this is still, you know, even without Tom Brady, that the the Patriots are the ones who really own the dynasty. So you'd think that whoever could possibly be Tom Brady's successor to the Patriot way and to the dynasty would be of interest to people for some reason it's not. Well, I am here to tell you that it should be because as much as Brady potentially striking out on his own is a way to prove that he doesn't need Belichick to succeed, I almost think that for Belichick, this is an even bigger opportunity to prove that he doesn't need Brady. Now, I've always thought that Belichick proved himself prior to having Tom Brady as his quarterback. Obviously, having Tom elevated Belichick's ability to build a roster and thus a dynasty, a couple of dynasties, out of role players and very few superstars. Brady made a lot out of a little, and he was so capable and so smart for so long that it really enabled Belichick to put the system he put into place. But Before Belichick was the head coach of the Patriots, he had two rings as a defensive coordinator with Bill Parcells and the Giants. He had assisted Coach Parcells when they went to the Super Bowl with the Patriots in 1996. He helped to really coach that defense up to what it was, to its best heights before he actually arrived as the head coach. The last time the Cleveland Browns won a playoff game was under Bill Belichick in the 1994 season. So I actually think Belichick has less to prove than Tom Brady. If if you're really getting down to semantics, I don't think either one of them has a single thing to prove. They've both earned their titles as their respective goats. But if if we were to compare, I would say very few greats have succeeded without some level of excellent coaching, especially for long time, long periods of time. I mean, even Peyton Manning, he, you know, Tony Dungy was a big part of him succeeding on on another level. So in this particular situation, whoever takes over for Tom Brady is not only a player that 
Bill Belichick is staking his reputation on, but a player who doesn't have an excuse to fail, right? Tom Brady succeeded so extraordinarily under Belichick and Josh McDaniels, who will be back this season, that whoever comes in has to is going to have to have a very strong sense of themselves and a very strong sense of their capabilities and not be overwhelmed by the expectations placed upon them. So that leads us to think who really, at the end of the day, is capable of stepping into that role and succeeding. We don't expect a 13-win season without Tom Brady. If there's no Tom Brady, this will be somewhat of a transition, even if it isn't a true transition year, even if they are still vying for a playoff spot, which they should be because they still have an excellent roster regardless. But, you know, there's a lot of names being thrown around, okay? And I want to go through a couple of them just to really flesh out what that would look like. The first real weird one that was thrown out early on was Andy Dalton from the Bengals because the Bengals are obviously, they've got their eye on drafting Joe Burrow. And unless the reports about Joe Burrow potentially not wanting to go to Cincinnati are true, uh, that is where he will be. Is Andy Dalton the type of player that could come and succeed in New England? I don't know. I do think that Andy Dalton at his best is better than Matt Castle at his best. He's also older than Matt Castle was when Matt Castle took over for Tom Brady during his 2008 injury season. He has never been a part of the system. He wasn't drafted by Belichick the way Castle was. All of these things come into play. I do think that his temperament would be one of excitement to succeed and excitement to have the opportunity to play for a team with such great leadership and ownership and front office and personnel. Cincinnati is a truly brutal place to play. Their facilities aren't great. The fan base is broken down and beaten down and they are loyal, don't get me wrong, the ones that are there, but it's just, it's a totally different experience. And people sometimes forget what it's like that, you know, if you've played in one place like that for so long, it can start to kind of screw with you. So I think he would come in motivated. I just don't, you have to remember that for Belichick and Kraft, there is a reputation they have to maintain. They are both incentivized to keep this team relevant. Does Andy Dalton help them do that? Does he appeal to the fan base? I don't see it. I just don't see it. I do think that he's a better option than people may think, but also that's not really saying much, right? I'm not saying he would come in and be extraordinary. I don't think that he has the type of, I don't think he's the type of player that when you get into the playoffs and you need him to make a play, he can do that. That's not who he is. He's just a guy who'll get you through the regular season. Maybe he can get you to 10 and six or 11 and five. You know, Belichick might have another 10 years of coaching in him, but he might not. I don't know how much of this time he really wants to waste. This is still a roster that has a lot of players who won a Super Bowl in the 2018 season. A lot of players are still there. And they'll retain a few of them. I don't know who's going to end up staying and leaving in terms of the, the really key free agents, but they'll retain a lot of their marquee players. This is not a trip. They are not a rebuilding team. And if they are going to have to rebuild, he'll have to decide that now. And if you're going to rebuild, you don't go get Andy Dalton. You just, you take your chances in the draft at maybe finding a next, the next Tom Brady, or, you know, no one's going to find the next Tom Brady, but you know what I mean? The next future quarterback for your team. So Andy Dalton, how much does sense does he make? Maybe more than people think, but still not enough. The other one that people keep throwing out to me on Twitter 
I've actually seen this more than anybody on my in my comment section is Cam Newton. Cam Newton would last about four and a half minutes at a Bill Belichick coach practice before he threw his helmet into the core of the sun and decided to retire. His temperament is decidedly not cut out for the type of system that Bill Belichick puts in place up there. He is so strict. You think Cam Newton is going to get reamed out in front of a room full of the rest of his offense rookies by Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels for making a mistake on the field? That is not happening. Even if Belichick brings him in for a, a tryout or, or even considers him, it's not. that's not working out. And that's not to say that I don't think Cam Newton's talented or worth an opportunity because I do. I actually absolutely, I absolutely think he should be a starting quarterback on a team somewhere if he's healthy next year, but it's not in New England. I, it's not even just about the Patriot way or anything like that. It's just, I know that it takes a very specific type of personality, a very specific type of player to withstand the type of constant criticism that, that you can often be forced to endure from that coaching staff. And he's not going to do it. So I think that he that's really not an idea worth entertaining. Another free agent that has uh, come recently come into play is Philip Rivers, who has officially parted way with the Chargers, or the Chargers have parted ways with him. And uh, he's moved himself to Florida. And that, it appears that's, that's the area of the country he wants to be. There is, there's no chance in hell he actually would want to play in New England or outside in the cold. That doesn't seem that, first of all, that would not benefit his game at this point. And it doesn't seem like he's not the type of person who wants to live away from his family uh, or would even, I don't think he'd even consider living away from his family, which means he'd have to pack that whole gang of like four million kids and move them somewhere else. I definitely think he's looking to stay in the Southeast. I also don't, again, this is a situation where you are asking the fan base to embrace a different old quarterback who's way more washed. And most of Patriots fans' exposure to Phillip Rivers has been watching him get his ass kicked by the Patriots, be it the old days when they were meeting in AFC championship games or even most recently when they came in as pretty favorite underdogs in Gillette. And they, I mean, they just got smoked. That was, you know, the renaissance of the Patriots defense, right? They, they kind of got their groove back against Phillip Rivers. So that would be weird. I don't even think he'd want to play for the Patriots. I think he's smart enough to want to play for those coaches. I just, again, hard to envision that as a real legitimate fit. Then who else is out there? Ryan Tannehill is go. I think he would be an interesting, like, potential fit for the Patriots, but it's from everything I'm hearing and seeing, he's intent on going back to Tennessee and they should be intent on keeping him. They ain't broke, don't fix it down there, especially with Tennessee where things are always like, they're fi- they finally got something going, they should just stick with it. Marcus Mariota, absolutely not. He needs to be a backup somewhere. Okay, we're now we're running out of options for people who are in the actual NFL. I'm going to say the words Jacoby Brissett to you, and I don't know how you feel about that. Let's play this out, okay? The Patriots can get whoever they want in the second or third or fourth rounds of the draft. If Belichick has somebody in that range that he wants to take, he'll get them. You know, he can package together lower picks or whatever. They don't have as many draft picks this year as they usually go into the draft with, but that doesn't, that's only for now. 
who knows what kind of tricks he has up his sleeve before things really get going. So Jacoby Brissett, his future in Indianapolis is tenuous. They love him. He has really impressed their coaching staff and everybody in their front office with his locker room presence and his leadership and everything else. But he doesn't appear to be the quarterback of their future by any means. And for the Patriots, he could end up being the perfect option, right? He is familiar with the system. He is familiar with the coaching. He came up with them. He was drafted by them. He played those couple of of games while Brady was out. The fans like him and are familiar with him. And he would be a great guy to bring in if you're going to draft a younger, you know, second or third round quarterback and have a little bit of a either a quarterback competition or have Jacoby bring him up into the system and mentor him in while he gets adjusted to not only the NFL, but the offense and McDaniels and Belichick and Foxborough and the whole deal, right? If you're going to have a weird middle figure out where we are season, do it with Jacoby Brissett. He's shown some little flashes of brilliance here or there. He is definitely in the mold of the type of quarterback who is succeeding in the NFL right now, which is capable of being a playmaker, maybe not always as consistent as you'd like to see, but he is an all-around athlete. He's not as mobile as some of those other guys, but he definitely has the playmaking ability, the size, the stature, all of the stuff that you want to see. If we're really going to start entertaining not Tom Brady, which I guess we kind of have to, for me personally, that's the best option, is bringing in Jacoby Brissett, who's still young enough and still vital enough to really compete for a legitimate starting role and giving him a little bit of competition from the draft. Maybe somebody who actually could be a starter in this league, not, you know, not a Jarrett Stidham, but a second or third round guy, just like Brissett himself and Garoppolo. I just think that that makes the most sense. Nobody else makes any real sense when you think about it. There are a lot of people on the national stage at various networks and at various publications who keep suggesting all these other players, the Cam Newtons, the Andy Daltons, and it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't do Belichick any good. It doesn't do Kraft as a businessman who's selling a brand and a product any good to bring any of those people in. None of them are like superstar names, you know? Sorry, but I don't think Philip Rivers is gonna do anything for the Patriots brand. He literally wears bolo ties to his press conferences. He just doesn't fit in in New England. That's not, that's just not where he belongs. That's not very clearly not where he wants to be. Philip Rivers was made to go be the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I can't think of a more Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback that exists on this planet or maybe has ever existed than 38-year-old Philip Rivers. It's a match made in heaven. Him and Bruce Arians, I would actually, I would love that. I would really love that. So that's, you know, there's some critical thinking for you. I want you to take these theories out in the world. I want you to share them with your friends and loved ones. You know, let me know what you think. Let me know what you're hearing. Whether you agree or disagree and, and, and what what the masses are saying. But I, there's a lot more to ponder here than just what if Tom Brady leaves? What if Tom Brady leaves? If he's gonna leave, he's gonna leave. It's time for us to start considering what the Patriots look like without Tom Brady, because he's obviously considered what he looks like without the Patriots. Hot stuff coming up. Now, I'm going to hit you with some Major League Baseball talk, but I honestly, I'm not going to lose you on this. I know that because we are going to talk about some of the proposed changes to the MLB playoffs 
the MLB is considering, you know, growing the postseason and and sort of changing the entire nature of how it works. And I have to tell you that from my perspective, Major League Baseball cannot do enough changing. It is time to let the status quo go. This is a league that's existed for like 140 years. It is stale. It is losing viewers by the second. It is riddled with scandal. And uh, there's still so much hidden PED use. There's domestic violence. There's cheating. One of the best players in my lifetime, and certainly the best statistical player of the last 20 years, rarely even touches the postseason, let alone sniffs a World Series. It's broken. The whole thing is broken. So I want to go on record with that before we get into all of these proposed changes and the things that the, that baseball could do to fix itself. Because regardless of all the things I just mentioned, there is no group of people more pretentious and more buying into their own bullshit than MLB players and the media who cover them. For whatever reason, and well, I know what the reason is. The reason is that it's it's been around for a very long time, and we have a long, nostalgic relationship with baseball. We love the idea of baseball and what it used to represent as America's pastime, and it's hard to let that go. Believe me, I understand. I There will never be a greater moment in my life. I will never, ever experience the same type of joy in sports as I did in 2004, with the Red Sox. It will never happen again. I am a diehard Patriots fan through and through, but as a child and growing up, Boston was a Red Sox town. And when they beat the Yankees in the greatest comeback in sports history, it was a feeling I didn't know was possible in sports. And I will I will forever be grateful for that. But Major League Baseball has taken a massive downturn and its popularity is getting to the point where I don't know how they're going to sustain this. Things need to change. So let me let me go through this real quickly with you, what the proposed changes to the postseason are. This is according to ESPN. I'm reading from their, their ESPN News Services. They are mulling the idea of expanding the number of teams who make the playoffs from 10 to 14. More chances for teams to get into the playoffs means fans stay invested longer. We know this. This is not rocket science. So that would include three division winners and four wildcard teams starting in 2022. This is this is what the source told ESPN. The best team in the league would receive a bye into the division series, and then the two remaining division winners and the wildcard team with the best record of the four would each host all games of a best of three series in their opening round. So best of three, they're all hosted at the higher seeded team's park. Once the teams clinch and the regular season ends, the plan gets a little kind of nuts. The division winner with the second best record would select its wildcard opponent from the three wildcard winners not hosting a series. So that's kind of interesting. The division winner with the worst record would then choose its opponent from the remaining two wildcard teams. The final matchup would, of course, pit the wildcard winner with the best record against the wildcard team not yet chosen. It puts a lot of things into play because at that point, are you picking based on matchup? Are you picking based purely on regular season record? You're looking at pitchers and your hitters. And, you know, do you have a lot of lefty pitchers who don't pitch well against left-handed batters? You know, even though there's all these little things that you have to start thinking about as a fan that really brings you back into the more nuanced 
aspects of the game. The other cool part of this, well, I think it's cool. I at least think it's cool to consider is that all the selections would be unveiled live on television the Sunday night of the final regular season games. So you think about how well the drafts do both NFL and, and the NBA. And this is like, this is taking it to the next level. I can't imagine that that wouldn't be highly interesting to even non-current baseball fans. I cannot stress enough to you how all for this I am. And I am an actual baseball fan. I'm certainly not as big of a baseball fan as I am an NFL fan, but I would say I care more about the Red Sox and baseball in in my heart than, than any other team and league outside of the NFL. I am not some newbie who's looking to be won over. I w- currently watch baseball as it stands. But I can see the value in switching this up and making it more exciting and giving it a new modern twist. The game should not be constituted exactly the same as it was in the late 1800s. The athletes are different. The fans are different. Our culture is different. It's it, We got to start getting with the program here because what the Astros did with the cheating and whatever the Red Sox may or may not have done and whatever all these other teams may or may not have done with technology and all that stuff, part of the reason that exists is because baseball is completely unwilling to accept the fact that this game was not designed for a, a world in which technology surrounds us every single second of every single day. Every fan in the stands has a piece of equipment in their hands that is more sophisticated than anything anyone could have imagined 20 years ago. Baseball is a slow game that technically can go on for days at a time without a winner. We can't have this in 2020. The season needs to be shorter. And I mean significantly shorter. They need to chop off like 40 games. I'm not kidding. I would be fine with a 100-game season. It would be ideal if they didn't play their playoffs in October, which is right in the middle of NFL season, and they, they just simply can't compete with the ratings. Have the World Series in August, gang. I know it would it would be so sad to say goodbye to fall baseball. I know how nostalgic that is for so many people. Believe me, I feel the same way. It would be weird, but baseball cannot compete with the NFL. And if they want to compete and they want to deliver programming that people really care to watch, baseball in the summer with a cold beer and burgers and hot dogs and, you know, country music on the radio, that's the vibe they need to be going for. I want to see the best teams in baseball vying for the World Series before we get to regular season NFL games. That is the world we live in in 2020. I just talked to you earlier in this episode about how the middle of summer is it's dead. That long wait to MLB All-Star Week feels like an eternity and nothing matters before the All-Star break. I've, I've said for years, I can barely even pay attention until after that midway point in July because it's too much. Things too much can change from April to November. And there has to be somebody, we have some former Facebook executive or some Twitter kid, some genius at an Ivy League school somewhere who can figure out how to deal with the technology problem in baseball, whether you start incorporating it and making it a part of the game or not. I don't know. I'm not, that's not what I do. I went to school for communication studies and broadcasting. My brain can't fully comprehend how to handle all of the answers to these questions. I just know there have to be answers to these questions. 
Baseball has leaned very hard into analytics. They've got a lot of computer nerds working for their teams. Somebody can figure out how to fix the technology problem in baseball. This is a sport and a league that is introducing the idea of having computerized umpires, but they don't, God forbid you use a monitor or a camera or door knocking or trash can clanging to steal signs. Guys, you can't have it both ways. You can't use the computers you wanna, the way that you wanna use them and then be mad when teams start to find a way to get an edge. I'm not saying what the Astros did was cool. I'm not saying that it shouldn't be sanctioned or that they shouldn't get in trouble. Rules are rules. But I'm telling you, it's not going to get any better. This is going to keep happening. Facing the music is one of the hardest things anyone can do in the world. I am a 30 plus year old woman who spends a lot of time on TikTok. I'm facing the music, guys. TikTok is taking over whether we like it or not. It's actually quite delightful. It really is. But I still haven't figured out how to use it and in, in, in what way I could uh, make it work for me. But I'm actively trying because in the next year, it's going to start to overtake some of the other platforms in the level of importance it plays in media. And I don't want to be behind the times. I'd rather be in front of them or at least along with along with them. It is 2020 and baseball is it's time for you to face the music. Let's switch up the playoffs. Let's make it wonky. 100 game season ends in August. 14 teams in the playoffs, wild cards, live selection rounds. Let's do it all. I'm in. I cannot tell you how in I am. Shall we? All right. And we're going to, you know, we're going to close out the show with an old school gimmicks and rants. Uh, I used to do this with Courtney on the Fox and Fallon podcast uh, where we just, you know, we would spend the end of the podcast for a few minutes kind of going over just some stuff, stuff that happened in the week, things that happened to us, story time. This week was the Oscars. It was nice to have something to look forward to on Sunday because we didn't have football. Uh, you know, I, I knew that I was going to be disappointed with them and yet I still really enjoyed them. That's the interesting part of the Oscars at this point in my life is much like baseball. I enjoy them mostly out of a sense of uh, nostalgia and tradition more than, you know, at the what they actually bring me in terms of any level of joy. I We have to talk about Joaquin Phoenix the celebration of Joaquin Phoenix and his really aggressive veganism is one of the more bizarre things I've had to deal with in LA over the last like couple of months as the award season has drawn on. Many people that I respect and listen to talk about movies and film and pop culture, mostly on podcasts, but also reading it on Twitter and on different platforms have... I guess they've just resigned themselves to the fact that that he's in the zeitgeist because he was the, you know, in Joker and everybody just kind of assumed, all right, well, he's going to win best actor and we're just going to deal with one of his crazy speeches and that, hey, at least he cares about animals and, and social justice and whatever. And I just don't really understand where this is coming from that we're giving this dude this free pass. He's just been like a total dick for 30 years. And now he's on this weird apology tour where he kind of yells at you about, how he knows he's been a shitty person in the past and he's trying to do better, but also you all fucking suck because you eat bacon and burgers and you don't understand what you're doing. The condescension is is wild coming from a person who's spent most of his career being a fucking weirdo on on like just this side of socially acceptable. He's not treated pe- human beings very well. And he's only just now started to acknowledge that so that he can push his veganism on people. Now, 
I actually have a really difficult time dealing with the idea of what we often do to animals in the service of the meat industry. I'm not a vegan and I'm not a vegetarian, but it actually does really bother me. So I want to take his message. I want to understand it and I want to become passionate, but I, I, I don't want this to be like a stick to sports situation where I'm telling him like stick to acting because that's not what I'm saying, but he's just not the right delivery system for this message. The crazy, eccentric, white dude who won an Oscar for playing a crazy, psychopathic white dude, like at the Oscars in a designer suit, is just not the the vehicle through which I should be hearing this pro-animal rights veganism message. And I'm over it. And I'm over people pretending like it's totally normal and totally fine and that we should be celebrating him for it. Can we not? We've got Brad Pitt out there being as charming as any human has ever been on planet Earth. Then we, then Joaquin Phoenix gets up there acting like a weirdo and we're all just like, well, that's Joaquin. Ugh. It just feels like, it just feels weird. Of all the people to give this random credit to for trying not to be a total piece of shit, it's gonna be Joaquin Phoenix? I don't know, man. I'm good. Thanks. Also, if you have ever had a woman in your life that you care for or love or want to understand more or if you're just a human being who wants to understand other human beings on a on a basic level go see little women for the love of god it's a fantastic movie it's well acted it's a beautiful period piece there's there's wonderful costumes gorgeous cinematography great writing great acting see little women fuck joker honestly if you want to see angry disenfranchised men raging against the world, turn on your television, turn on your computer, open up your phone. You'll get it. There you go. Joker. You've seen it. It's the fucking world we live in. Congrats. This guy just happens to have weird face paint. And if you want to see a good Joker movie, watch The Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, who did it first and better and also won an Academy Award for it. That's my advice to you guys. That's how I'm closing it out today. I'm feisty today. That's how I'm feeling. I'm just gonna be true to, I'm gonna be true to the moment. I want the MLB to be better and I want the Oscars and film to be better and I want the people who watch the MLB and the Oscars and film around me to be better. I will be back next week on Wednesday again. This is gonna be every Wednesday. And in the meantime, maybe we'll get some more ideas on who we could see maybe, you know, take over in New England as quarterback of the Patriots. And until then, just make sure you don't let any of those baseball purists bully you into not having the best, most fun version of baseball we can have, okay? Do that in my honor. If you truly do care about me, you will go on this ride with me. We will do this together. We will crusade across social media until people are on the bandwagon with us. All right, I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.